How we all eventually come to terms with the year 2020 may only be known in retrospect. Like the Christmas story, this year has been chaotic, shocking, earth-shattering, bewildering, full of miracles and disasters. The Christmas story is not a fairy tale. It's about the birth of Jesus Christ. Although the entire story is the ultimate gift to humanity, the fact that the Son of God was born by teenage mother Mary in a manger in a dirty stable, wise men called by a star in the night sky in the middle of nowhere, is when Jesus' birth literally split history in two. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This pandemic and everything we're going through is not new to God who through the generations gives us peace and hope. Today on Context, getting real at Christmas time in the age of COVID with Dr. Maggie Mulqueen, who says we shouldn't feel obligated to push joy when this year has been a struggle for everyone. But we can never lose hope, even during a global pandemic, because God is seeing us through. Senior producer Fatin Alfaraj visits the Baby Depot where mothers and their newborns are comforted by much-needed donations. And Maggie John goes to the Daily Bread Food Bank where corporations and communities give the gift of food all year round. And Context producer Christine Yu hits the streets to find out what's on the hearts and minds of people at Christmas time. But first, a difficult yet incredible story of survival that made headlines earlier this year when Kimberly Black Tardic was brutally attacked by a 21-year-old deranged man who has been arrested and charged. Kimberly left her home for a summer walk and police did not find her until the next morning. Here now with her miraculous story of survival are Maggie John and Mark Masri. Oh, hey everybody, I am here with a living miracle. I'm here with Kim Black. I share her story with you on Slack about the vicious attack that she faced this summer and we prayed for her and here she is look at her vibrant and smiling and i just want you all to see her and just know that your prayers have had an incredible impact in her life you want to say hi Kim? i do i i want to say hi that was our good friend mark masry one of the hosts of 100 huntley street with kimberly black tardic who's going to be joining us in a few moments but first mark first of all thank you for joining us on context what an incredibly disturbing and miraculous story here that made the headlines earlier this year. Set this up for us before we speak with your friend, Kimberly. A young woman who is out on her evening walk and, and this random attack takes place. And I mean, it's Kim's story to tell, and she's going to join us in a minute to tell you some of the miraculous points of her story along the way, but beaten within the, within inches of her life and left to just basically die. And um, little things like her being left with her head back down into some running water so it could keep her brain cool to keep her from suffering any permanent brain damage and yet being brutally attacked and, and having a lot of injuries. And so amazing to give some context, um, Kim's husband, Rob and I have been creative collaborators for years. We've done concerts together, we've recorded together. So we have been very good friends with Kim and Rob for many years. And so when we heard this story, it was devastating to us as it was to people across the country. So um, just an amazing story and a story of, of resilience and miraculous recovery. Yeah. And talk about just the outpouring of just love that Kimberly has seen before we bring Kimberly on. 
Well, early on, like immediately, a very close family member started a GoFundMe page because this was going to be a very lengthy recovery for Kim. I mean, the doctors, medical professionals told the family right away, this is going to be a lengthy recovery. And um, as a result, people rallied behind them and started a GoFundMe page and people started bringing meals to the house, you know, to, 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 because, you know, Rob was going to be spending all of his time at the hospital. And, and so people just started pouring out generously on this particular GoFundMe campaign. And I, and I think they've raised, I mean, upwards of $100,000 to help with the recovery. There are going to be therapies that, ongoing therapies that Kim is gonna require. And of course, um, perhaps some restorative surgery moving forward as uh, she heals a little more and they can actually you know, do some other corrective surgeries that they desire to do with her. So it's been amazing to see how people mm. have resp- responded, Maggie. There are good people out there. There are, and we should note that the person that responsible for this attack has been arrested. Yes, so uh, you know that process is happening. Okay, so let's bring in the miracle. Kimberly is. is joining us from her home in Whitby. First of all, Kimberly, thank you so much for joining us and your courage in all of this. And just being open to talk about this. Do you look at this as a miracle that you survived? Um, well, the, all of the feedback that I get from the first responders and, and the, uh, uh, the medical specialists that, that I have ongoing contact with, all of them say uh, they, they have a hard time believing that they're having a conversation with me and looking at me and in the, the recovered state that I'm in. So I guess there, it is a bit of a miracle, I guess, uh, judging from that response. When you think back about what you went through, and I, I in no way want you to relive that or, or tell us about the details, but how, like, what were the emotions going through your body, Kimberly, as you lay there waiting for somebody to find you? Well, um, one thing probably a lot of people are, are unaware of is that I don't recall a single thing that happened to me. And as a matter of fact, um, I've lost my memory for up to about a week before the incident. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's about a month of my life this past summer that I don't remember. So um, luckily, I, I don't I don't recall the attack. And, and when I woke up in, in the ICU at St. Mike's Hospital, it was very confusing. And, and I, I remember uh, repeatedly asking my husband, I, I couldn't talk because I had a tracheotomy in me, but I remember mouthing to him like, what happened? What happened? And um, they, they held off telling me what happened until right before I was released. But um, luckily, I'm, I'm blessed that I don't actually remember what happened to me. What do you want those watching to understand about this? Um, I, I would say that we, we don't want to instill, I don't want anyone to look at me like a victim, first mm-hmm. of all. Um, I think some of the takeaways for me have been the importance of getting involved in your community, mm-hmm. sort of broadening out so that you have those supports. Um, and even though I would say 95% of the people that have reached out to help me through the GoFundMe campaign, campaign through the meal train initiative, just mm-hmm. all the different messages I've received, most of those people I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just talks to, to the inner beauty of most people. There, there, there's so much goodness in people and they just want to help even in a small way. So I would say, uh, be hopeful. Um, 
make an effort to get to know your community so that God forbid anything like this should happen to you or something traumatic, that, that those supports are available to you. Yeah, well said. Well, thank you so much, Mark and Kimberly yeah. for joining us today. And again, the GoFundMe page as of today is over a hundred thousand dollars. As you said, Kim, so many great yeah. people out there. Uh, and you can visit our website to find further information mm -hmm. on that. Thank you again, both of you, for joining us today. You're Thanks, welcome. Thank you. Christmas carols like Holly Jolly Christmas, or it's the most wonderful time of the year, and I'll be home for Christmas, all have a much different sentiment this year. Our next guest says, stop urging people to be joyful. Well, life is anything but these days. Psychologist Maggie Mulqueen, thank you for joining us today. Why do you say we should not encourage those having a hard time this season to look at the bright side of things? Well, I think it's very difficult for people to express their depression when the expectation is that everyone's supposed to be joyful. And if people are willing to make themselves vulnerable and say that they're having a hard time, it is far better if we are willing to listen to them. It doesn't mean we have to agree. Listening and agreement are not the same thing, but if we can listen to people and allow them to have their full range of emotions, you're actually much more likely to be helpful and they might be able to find some joy in the season. But if they're shamed into feeling depressed, uh, you know, told they're the Grinch or something, then in fact, they will just take their feelings and go further into hiding. Yeah, you wrote a, a great article on this topic and you say, Dr. Mulqueen, that this time of year is the busiest for you as people yes. cope with expectations around the holidays with the pandemic. How are you seeing this play out this year in your personal practice? Well, people started to, talking about the holidays um, in August. So even earlier than usual, um, you know, where I am, as soon as Halloween is over, the stores turn over to Christmas decorations and, mm -hmm. um, you know, start playing Christmas music and everything. But this year, people in the summer were saying, oh, my goodness, what if the pandemic is not done by the holidays? Will I be able to see my family? And for many people, this means this is coming up upon a year now from the last time they were in person with close loved ones, because it may have been around the winter holidays that they saw their family and then the pandemic came in March with the lockdowns. And to go more than a year without seeing people is a very, very stressful thing. So I've had, you know, as all of my colleagues have, I've had an increase in people both new and old reaching out for therapy. I've had former um, patients of mine call and ask if they could come back into treatment um, because they're really struggling right now with trying to figure out how to both take care of their emotional needs and to stay safe physically. Hmm. Let's talk about loneliness a little bit more. Um, you know, I, I just got a, a stat that I found that says that self-isolation and loneliness has increased by 10% over last year. We were at 23%. This is a Canadian statistic. Now we're at 33% of people identifying, saying that they're lonely in Canada. Um, you say some are already experiencing holiday blues and seasonal affective disorder. What are these disorders and, and how are they manifested, especially during this time? So seasonal affective disorder, which is sometimes um, goes by SAD, the acronym, yep. 
is when people live in situations where there is less light, the days are shorter, and without the, um, the hit, if you will, that you get from being in sunlight and daylight, and if, also if there's increased cold, people um, tend to find themselves going into a depression that can impact their sleep patterns, their motivation. Um, many people choose to get a special lamp that you can buy that um, increases your um, exposure to light and it helps elevate their mood. Um, other people in terms of holiday blues have that impending sense of that this is a time where I'm expected to be happy. People, um, you know, they watch the television movies. Um, it's all about families. And if they do not have good family relationships or don't have close loved ones, there's an increased sense of feeling left out. And, um, and also, like I said earlier, feeling shamed that, you know, the world is celebrating and, and I can't participate in that in a way that feels authentic to me. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's, it's a very difficult time, especially for people who live alone. And the pandemic has only exacerbated that. Mm. All right. Such a complex topic and great things for us to take away and be mindful of this holiday season. Thank you so much, Dr. Maggie McQueen. This time of year brings up all kinds of emotions and COVID is making it even more difficult. For some, though, food insecurity is a very real thing all year long, even in a rich, robust city like Toronto. I recently went to the Daily Bread Food Bank and discovered more people are relying on the food bank than ever before. So Neil, thanks for having us here at the Daily Bread Food Bank. Really, really glad that you're here. Okay, um, while important. we're talking, we're gonna be we're gonna actually do stuff. Yeah, because <laughs> you can't just be all talk here. There's right. a lot of action. This is an important time as we uh, are dealing with uh, food insecurity in Canada. One in seven Canadians are dealing with food insecurity. So this is a scary time to be alive. Has the food bank ever experienced a time like this? We have never seen more food bank clients uh, in our entire history than we are now. Wow. So there has been a 200% increase in terms of the number of individuals uh, having to access food banks. Yeah. It's really exposed just how close people were to having to come to a food bank. So mm. when the shutdown happened, it was only two weeks into that that, uh, that our lineup started going, uh, going crazy. Yeah. So it's, it shows you know, areas of concern for us, uh, income inequality, uh, it shows uh, precarious employment, what that means. Right. Um, when, when somebody is a, an Uber driver and no longer picking up fares, they are here at the food bank very, very quickly. What is the history of the food bank? How did it yeah, start? So we started, um, it's, daily, it's daily bread as in give us the, thy daily bread. Yes. Um, it started in Toronto um, by a collection of small food banks who um, uh, said it'd be way more efficient if there was one of us getting all the food and then distributing it out. Ah. So it was started by a nun uh, huh. in Toronto, Sister Susan, huh. and uh, she was the lead for the first couple of years and then Gerard Kennedy who uh, took over yep. for, for about 15 or yeah, so years and then moved on to, uh, to politics. Yep. and. Uh, so uh, he was the one that really had it sort of advance in terms of the uh, scale of the daily bread. 
And so tell me about uh, the change in clientele that you're probably seeing this year that you didn't see in prior years. You know, uh, we have seen a whole host of individuals, including, uh, you know, professionals who have been furloughed, who mm. have been uh, laid off. So those are, um, you know, they're, they're just individuals that you'd, you'd sit beside on the, on the bus or the streetcar, and now um, they need to do whatever they need to do in order to make sure that their family's needs are, are met, and food banks have been there uh, for them. At the same time, what we're doing is we're going to meet those immediate needs, but we're going to advocate for some systemic changes. That's my next question. I mean, when we talk about food, it's more complex than just feeding your stomach. This is about lifestyle and about taking care of your children and making sure that people are, you know, in your family are taken care of. Tell, tell me about the impact that you have beyond food through yeah. the food bank. Yeah, so I would say food security issues are not a food issue. They're yeah. an income issue. And in many ways, they're a justice issue. There's a, there's a wonderful line that the opposite of poverty is, is not wealth, but justice. Mm. And, uh, and I, I love what Brian Stevenson has to say about that because it really is about justice. Um, how do we make sure that individuals um, have access to their right to food? And, uh, and so we're, uh, uh, we're doing our best to make that happen through uh, good, decent social policies. And so again, we're, here we are in the midst of a pandemic, could understand that everybody is struggling. So how are you doing? How is the food bank doing right now, especially during Christmas? You know, I have been uplifted by the amount of support from the mm. community. I have been uh, challenged and tried by the amount of operational shifts that we've had to do. Mm. You know, every week we are adjusting our, our, our operations to, to do things safely. But I'm going to focus on the hope. I'm going to yeah. focus on the uplifting part, which is there's a whole host of Canadians who wanted to participate and want to make a difference. And now, when we've all gone through this experience together, my hope is that we build back better. Mm. And so that we, we can say, yeah, you know, I've, I've had friends who have who've experienced poverty. I understand it a little bit more, and I am going to make, uh, make my voice heard through advocacy work. So Canadians are watching. How can they continue to help the Daily Bread Food Bank? You know, they can, they can help in uh, a variety of ways. They can obviously make a donation of food or of funds. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of people, they can't do that right now and, yeah. and, and want to honor that. And the best way that they can uh, make that happen is by watching this report and then going online, seeing the social policies that need to be changed and calling their elected official and just saying, let's make sure that no Canadian ever needs to access a food bank. Thanks so much, Neil. Back at work. All right. <laughs>story that's close to my heart. In a city that already has a number of social economic challenges, the rates of poverty in Hamilton are heartbreaking. One in five children live below the poverty line. And with many social agencies and resources being impacted this year due to the pandemic, years of progress are being jeopardized due to an increased need. Well, seven years ago, I started a charity called The Baby Depot, which serves Hamilton's neediest, babies under the age of two. Here is senior producer Fatin Al-Faraj to share the story of how The Baby Depot is bringing hope and warmth to babies and their families this Christmas.
Stephanie, it's great to be here. It's a wonderful location and beautiful kids stuff all over the place. It's, it's wonderful. Tell us more about this place. Where are we? Thank you, thank you. Um, so this is the Baby Depot. We've been around for seven years. We actually had our seventh anniversary in October. Um, and we're a nonprofit that does a year's worth of clothing for children under two in Hamilton who might be struggling with some financial issues or some marginalization. Um, we do a year of clothing and then also diapers, wipes, blankets, things like that for them, uh, just to help the families out because clothing is a necessity, but it's not something people automatically think of. Everyone always wants to donate food and diapers and things like that, but kids have to wear clothing and it's very important, um, just also for dignity, right? So Stephanie, take us through the process of donations. We have social media, we have Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and you can always reach out to us on there at the Baby Depot. Once you've emailed us or sent us a message, we can follow up with you to let you know our drop-off spots. We have one in Hannon, one in Grimsby, and we do pickups in Hamilton. So I know a lot of our families have young children if they're donating children's items, so it's hard to get out and actually bring everything with you. So we can do a pickup and come to your home and actually get that. Um, once it gets here, as you can see, we get it in bags, in boxes, in bins, uh, then it's sorted. So we have some volunteers who come and they sort it by size and by gender. So like over here, uh, we have our boy clothing on this side and it's done by size, zero to three, three to six, six to 12. And then we also do it by type. So long sleeve, short sleeve, pajama. That just really helps us keep it organized and we're actually building the hampers. So then once we have it all on the shelves, we use it to build the hampers. Once we get a referral, then it, everything is washed. That's amazing. And then after that, um, you put them, like what's, what would be the content of this hamper? Yeah, so we get the referrals from our community agencies. We have about eight of them. And the referral will tell us if it's a boy, if it's a girl, the size they're in, the size diapers they're in. And then we'll go from there. So say if the baby is six months old, we'll give them six to 12 clothing and 12 to 18 clothing. Comes out to be about 150 pieces of clothing um, because they'll get all different styles depending on the weather, depending on the season, uh, depending on the size of the child. We'll fill a bin with it. We have lists of what goes in each one. And then we'll also do a bag that has the diapers, the wipes, blankets, shampoo, Vaseline, all sorts of other things that we get. So. We try and do as much as we can for each child. <laughs> and tell me about your favorite part of, of all this process. My favorite part is the delivery. So I'm lucky that I get to do the deliveries. So once we've completed the hamper, I actually bring it out to the families. Um, Pre-COVID, it was a ton of fun because you got to hang out with the families, talk to them a bit about their life, meet the children. Um, it was always a bit of an event. So pre-COVID, it was fantastic because you got to go in. They'd usually want you to come see the baby, see the family. Um, a lot of the families were so kind. It would always be offering like juice and water and everything. <laughs> and you got to hang out with the kids for a bit. So it was always a bit of an event and just a really wonderful time and a great way to see how you're actually affecting the families. Um, Post COVID is a little different because we have to do safety first. So we meet at the door, um, you're handing stuff in but not really spending too much time or getting too close, but you do get to see the families, meet some of the kids. They're always really excited when people come bearing gifts. <laughs> so that's, that's my favorite part to do is actually meet them. Stephanie, I see lots of things, beautiful stuff. 
And it seems that the need is definitely bigger than what you have. Hamilton has a lot of need, especially East and North End. Um, we have seen it increase, but we've also seen the community really rise to the challenge and donate a lot. So when you see all we've received, almost everything's donated. Um, even from families who we've given hampers to, they'll re-donate their things so they can go to another family, which is fantastic to see. So our goal is to keep growing. I'm Christine Yu in downtown Toronto talking to some people today about Christmas. We're just talking to people about Christmas. How will you be doing Christmas differently this year? Uh, it's going to be very complicated, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's not like before, because I usually go maybe shopping at the Eaton Centre, but it's not like years ago, because with this uh, pandemic, uh, things are very getting difficult. It's not, like, it's not like before, you know? It's very hard for the people, and I don't know. We just got to live with it, right, till uh, things clear up. That's about it. And with the stores closed and the malls closed, will you be doing online shopping? No. I just go right to the wherever I have to go, any store or uh, whatever I, wherever I am. That's about it. And have you had enough of 2020 already? It looks like, yeah. Can't take it anymore with the mask on. So, uh, like I said, like before, we just got to live with it, you know? We won't be visiting uh, relatives or anything. We're from Winnipeg. We're here for the hospital there for the sick children. So we're from Winnipeg. We won't be visiting. We'll just be staying home. And with all the stores closed, will you be doing more online shopping? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. I don't personally, but the, the wife does and the kids do. And the grandkids do. I actually don't have any kind of plans for Christmas, to be very honest. Uh, maybe just chill around with my friends at home, like my housemates, because I'm an international student, so I don't have family here. So just that, keeping myself safe this Christmas at least, so that we can have a better Christmas next year. Being here in Toronto, because I usually travel, I, but I don't know if I can this year to Quebec. So that's, that's, that's what's going to be different, being in Toronto. Yeah. yeah. And with um, all the stores being closed down, will you be doing more online shopping? Probably, probably. It's, I'm going to try to see if I can still buy things from some of the stores in my neighborhood. But uh, yeah, for the most part, yeah, different. It'll be different. And have you had enough of 2020 already? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much, yes. It's, um, it's been an, it, I don't, interesting is like an understatement. It's, it's, uh, it's just been one big suck. <laughs> I'm very busy, just um, frontline worker. Really? What do you do? I'm personal support worker. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So I'm so busy, so I have no time to celebrate. Life, like the Christmas story, is fraught with all kinds of human emotions. This Christmas, we at Context wish you and yours a peace that passes all understanding. So as we go out today, we leave you with the ones who make us laugh and warm our hearts. Children. For everyone here, thanks for watching, and we'll see you in 2021. We couldn't do this program without you, our viewers. 
or without the prayers and contributions of our donors. If you'd like to find out more, go to our website, context.show, to see how you can be a part of supporting this important program where we take a look at how God is moving beyond the headlines. Thanks for watching and Merry Christmas. Kaysen? Kaysen. Oh, yeah, open. <gasps> open it. Open it.